we're recording Canary Cast right now. Please bear with us if there are some drops, drops, ins and outs, because both Janet and I are experiencing a little bit of uh, internet interference. We don't know if it's the volcano or just our old lady incapacity to actually deal with technology. <laughs> so, hi, Janet. Hi, Cleo. I have also noticed this morning, after a few days of it being quite cool, um, that, that it really feels quite warm. So something is happening in the atmosphere. Okay. And yeah, it, it could be um, the effects of what's going on in La Palma. Or I suppose it could be one of the tropical storms that's forming down in Cape Verde or whatever. But yeah, at the moment, the internet's a little bit patchy. Let's go straight to La Palma then. I mean, I don't mean physically, I mean in terms of our chat. Um, and I hope people don't mind, but we think it's important to just let people know what's happening. And also, there have been a, there are a couple of things happening this week, which hopefully will help the people who've lost homes and stuff like that. Um, now, part of the cone of the volcano collapsed over the weekend, Janet. What does that mean? Yeah, it, 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 it is a vocabulary that we are all learning on the hoof, so to speak, isn't it? Because it, it's a bit like Brexit and COVID. I mean, we didn't know what a coronavirus was and we didn't know what... Um, what an RMA uh, vaccine was. And we've, we've had to learn all this stuff for COVID. And the same is happening right now with, with volcanological terminology that we don't have at our fingertips. And yet we are learning all this. There are two fissures, they call it. And these are, if you like, um, dikes, cracks in, in the volcanic structure. And within these fissures, various bubbles erupt and a new mouth is formed. They call it a mouth in Spanish, it's boca. A boca. I I've been saying vent as well. Vent is yeah. what I call it, a vent in English. And so when we talk about a new vent appearing, it, it sounds very frightening and sounds like the eruption is going nuts, but it's still all happening within these two original fissures. And so they can, to some extent, they can consider it contained because they've got the two fishes. They know what's going on. And okay. the guy from Involcan yesterday was, was very much at pains to stress that this is normal within the chaotic situation of the type of Strombolian volcanic, volcanic eruption that we have, okay. that we do get here. I, I did a piece for World Report, which is an RT program the other day, and I referred, because I remembered it well, back to the Horizon program in October 2020. 2000, where a couple of geologists, I think there were Maguire and Day, um, proposed or suggested that a, a volcanic event stroke earthquake would see the side of the Cumbre Vieja slide up into the sea. Do you remember this? And cause a giant tsunami that would take out New York. The mega tsunami theory. Yeah. Now, I mean, that people are beginning to look back over their shoulders to the Horizon programme of 2000. But are the experts still saying that ain't going to happen? Yes, they are still saying In, in a word, but yeah. yes. But yes, they are now beginning to look over their shoulders. Okay. Because this morning, what happened, this, what, what happened in the last 12 hours is really interesting. It, it, it's un analyzable there is no explanation of what's going on we don't know what's going on um and we can't know what's going on because even those who are qualified professional experts in volcanology currently don't know what's going on okay but what has happened is as of about 
10 o'clock last night, I posted on my website the latest up last update I planned for the day of a live footage of the renewed explosive activity. I mean, it looked like a, a Roman candle firework. I mean, mm. given that nobody was in immediate danger, it actually looked very beautiful. Yes, I know what you mean. Intrinsically. Um, you wanted it not to be happening. You certainly didn't want it to be any worse, but it, it actually looked very interesting. So I thought, well, I'll post that and people can watch it because it was a live feed from Canarian TV. Within half an hour of that, they're saying, okay, if you're within five kilometers of the main emission center, tape up your windows now because there's going to be shockwaves through the night and it will shatter glass. Too. They, they did, within the last couple of days, recommend generally the people did tape up their windows yeah and yeah. last night about 10 o'clock they said do it now mm. i've noticed I too that and within quarter of an hour they issued an um an orden de confinamiento a lockdown on okay. various areas don't go out because they felt at the time that the lava stream that had gone through todoke and destroyed the church was going to get to the sea when it does apparently we are to expect a cloud of sulfuric dioxide and this is hazardous for health. And they felt sure last night that this stream was going to hit the sea at some point in the night. Everybody stay indoors. Mm -hmm. This morning dawns. And what do we find? No, it hasn't reached the sea. In fact, the volcano switched itself off. Nothing was happening. The volcanic tremor had effectively disappeared. And there was no cloud coming out of the volcano at all. Okay. But simultaneously, part of the south, in the southern tip of La Palma, was a swarm of earthquakes in the Fuencaliente area. And they were saying, this is clearly linked. We don't know how. And as of 10 minutes before we started recording, volcanic eruption has started again in Cumbre Vieja. As in Volcan said, we don't know what it means yet, but the silence this morning, which has now anyway reactivated, does not mean this eruption is over, as no. we now know. Yeah. What it means is we are now in a new phase. And as Pedro Sanchez said when he was in La Palma the other day, estamos muy pendiente. We're Nobody waiting. really knows what's coming here. We are just yeah. waiting and we are at the mercy. And you can see it in all the officials today. They're all running around basically saying, look what we're doing, look what we're doing. We're doing this to the roads and we're doing that with funding and we're doing that with reconstruction. They're all looking busy because everybody's trying to do something mm. in a situation that could yet develop in ways that are unexpected and nobody knows what's going to happen. No, the volcano will not follow anybody's rules. No. It, it just because you mentioned Sanchez, I thought it was something I wanted to bring up um, just to try and take a look at the what happens next bit in terms of those who've lost their homes, those who've lost their farms. Um, now, tomorrow, at national level in Madrid, the Spanish government is going to declare the whole of the island a, a zona catastrofica, so a catastrophe zone. Now, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this will make direct funding, like money going into people's hands a lot easier, so that there will be up to 5 million euros released pretty much immediately for people to start spending on either renting homes uh, or looking for new homes. And it also means that people who have helped in the last week can receive some compensation back. I mean, it's quite complicated. And I think, and the regional and local governments have already started to look for homes that people can move into. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. It's a bit like we've heard in America 
when, say, there's been a hurricane hitting the Gulf of Mexico, maybe Hurricane Katrina, a few years, they, the, the national, the federal government declares a, what we were called, what we call in English, I suppose, a disaster area. Okay, yeah. That, that's the recognized terminology, I suppose, in English. In, in Spanish, it's a catastrophic zone. Um, and yeah, it, it does mean that funds, national funds, not just regional funds, are instantly streamlined through to people. That's the idea anyway. Okay, um, so that's, that's um, a good thing. I mean, that's it's what a very, the government very can do. And the Canarian government has, is in the process, I understand, of actually buying build Bonds. properties. Yeah. As, as I understand it, as um, protected with, as probably we call in English council housing. Yeah? Okay, but fine, owned, you know. Um, because, as they say, these are investment properties and maybe in some cases bank repossessions as well, they are calling to be made mm. available because these are empty properties that were intended for people to make money from, but there are actual human beings who need a roof yeah. over their head. And that is where these properties are going to end up. So, yeah, it's all to the good. They are okay. trying to I look after people who have lost everything. And once the mediatic circus goes away, these people have the rest of their lives yeah. completely different to what came before. And I mean, we were chatting over coffee, myself and a couple of the guys in the office, and just, you know, saying... Uh, unlike other natural disasters where the water washes away from a storm or the fire goes out and leaves the land behind, if you owned three hectares or ten hectares of farming land after the volcano stops erupting, that land is now covered with lava. You can't go back. Yeah, no. you might still own it on a map, but it's it's not something that you can farm anymore. And it might be declared an area of scientific interest. You might not be actually allowed farm it, even in 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years. So in the flick of a switch or, or overnight, um, everything has changed. And, I, you know, in fact, that leads me to another point that I, I'm seeing, seeing in quite a lot of sites that people are saying, I know people want to donate their, you know, secondhand clothes and shoes and toys. The people of La Palma are saying, we need money. Actually, you know, please. I mean, I was in Hyperdino yesterday, and and at the checkout, you can make a donation. You just add, you can top up your bill, and it goes straight to the La Palma Fund. There are so many ways you can, even if it's three euros or five euros or ten euros. And I know here in Adelhe, we're going to put together kind of a coordinated uh, list of, of different places and different ways that you can donate. That the fiestas, which are starting here at the weekend, all of the money that will be taken at, at ticket desks for different events that are taking place will be going straight to the La Palma Fund. So that's good to know. But at the end of the day, is it what these people need is money to rebuild homes and rebuild lives. I, th I think that's it, it's, a, it's very simple. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to do what they can. And. Clothes are easy to donate, aren't they? Because we've all got yeah. little piles of stuff that we don't need anymore, yeah. that the kids have grown out of, or that we don't wear anymore. It's still serviceable. Perhaps we intend to take them to one of the charity shops. And it's easy. But they are asking no more clothes. They don't need. They don't. Clothes. It's not that they no don't money. appreciate the gesture. They have oh, enough. They don't need it. What they yeah. need is food. And that is difficult to provide from Tenerife. And being a podcast from... Um, you know, a canary cast maybe, but we are both based in Tenerife. Yeah. And it's difficult to see how to get that food over there because there are local ways of yeah. getting the food to them. So what people really need, yeah, it, and 
often the last one to say send some money because often it's the first thing people do and it, it's an easy thing to do and it often doesn't achieve anything but in this case they do need yeah. money and it's not and to say that local governments aren't also providing money but no, this is but they, an unparalleled catastrophe yeah. yeah unparalleled catastrophe unforeseen unexpected situations of, of an emergency level. I was thinking last night, for example, suppose you were in La Palma, you are allowed to move around, then there's not complete lockdown, just on a few um, dwellings. Imagine you are down, say, in Fuencaliente and you live up in El Paso and this lava stream comes down while you are in one place. You can't even go home. The roads are being consumed. Yeah. It's not that they're you blocked know, by police. The roads are gone. Yeah. So, yeah, there are, on, on my website, and wherever you look, you'll find this information, there are account numbers and means of getting information and also of how to transfer money. And from Tenerife, I would say our best way of helping people in La Palma is to make financial donations yeah. through. I mean, as I say, it doesn't those. have to be that much. Every little helps. No, no. Do you know what I thought was very interesting too, Janet, what you copied on your Twitter account was the request from the authorities not to keep sharing pictures of people's homes being destroyed. Yeah. Um, because, I, you know, it must be one of the most soul-destroying things to watch in slow motion and then to have to see it over and over and over again on social media. Um, it's, it's not fun. Well, it, it, if you think about it in very writ large terms imagine the collapse of the towers on 9-11 plenty of people have said by all means show footage of firemen and doing whatever but don't show the planes hitting the towers don't show them coming down don't show people falling out of them yeah because there are people watching these you know all the world is on social media now <clears throat> and relatives of those people and people who were directly affected are going to be seeing those images. Just don't do it. They can't tolerate it. And the same is happening now. We, we all get the oh, feeling when you see something like the church in Todoke collapsing. You think, oh, my God. And of course, when you see videos, the instinct is to share it because yeah, it's shocking yeah, it and is. it's affected you psychologically. So you want to share it. But if it's affected you psychologically with whom it has no immediate impact, imagine what it's doing to someone whose house it was, say. Exactly. And they, it, they it just does not bear thinking about don't it. Share it. Just don't share it. Okay. So we will leave La Palma for now. Um, so, and just request that if possible, if you are in a position to make a small donation, that is the best way to go about it at the moment. That is, that is what so. will help people most. Yeah, I think so. From right. Um, back to boring COVID and Brexit. And <laughs> what we wanted to talk about last week, but we didn't get around to it. I don't know if people are interested in this, but in, in a 10 day period at the start of this month, I traveled and stayed in three countries and I was struck by the difference, different experiences of being in those countries under COVID restrictions. And I wondered, I mean, I just don't know if, if it's of interest to people. Um, I think, well, it, I'm interested. I am interested watching the way everything is now. Like La Palma has taken over here. 
and the petrol shortage and the turkey shortage and the Brexit chaos has taken over in the UK. Sort of nobody is really talking about COVID anymore. No, because but other it's things still have there. taken over and yet COVID is still very much there. So I am very interested in how this is developing as time goes on and other things become more pressing and it sort of goes to the back burner. So it is important to me to know how well, things are developing. Two, two aspects of it. One was the travel and one was the being there. Um, now, traveling to the UK, which I did on the 5th of September, was to me extremely complicated. Having been a, a regular traveler in and out of the country, as in the past as a European citizen, like going in to another European country. I mean, I rarely travel to the UK, but going in and out of Ireland. But with all the COVID restrictions, um, I spent hours and hours, as everybody has done, to travel to the UK because I had to fill in a passenger location. Well, I had to book a day two test for the second day after we arrived, but I also had to book a pre-flight test to be taken within 48 hours. Or sorry, no, I tell a lie, 72 hours in the lead up to the flight. There was some question mark as to whether that should be a, an antigen test or a PCR test, but I was informed by people I trust that it could be an antigen test. And that was a difference, a saving of 50 euros per traveler. There were two of us. The day two test cost me 45 pounds each. And that was very, very quickly done. It needed to be booked in advance. So it had arrived at the address I was to stay in before I flew in. So, so basically we did a test on Friday, flew on Sunday with a passenger locator form that was extremely detailed and complicated to fill in. All of that paperwork was asked for at departure. So in the Tenerife end, I needed all those forms to be able to be filled in and presented. When we arrived into Luton, all I needed was my passport. I wasn't asked for anything else. Um, nothing else in Luton. And the queues and queues and queues to, to check in your passport, there was no social distancing. And coming from here, having lived here for, for the two years since COVID began, I was a bit nervous, I have to admit. Um, and the minute is a biggie for me. Distancing is a huge thing for me. Nobody is doing it. it. And I'm, going, I'm starting thinking of walking around with a broom, actually, because my kitchen <laughs> broom is about one and a half meters. Get yourself <laughs> one of those old, you know, Elizabethan crinoline. dresses, Janet. A crinoline. You know? A crinoline. And there you can just be a southern belle keeping your social distance. Sorry, Leah. Newton. Um, so we so basically we were, so we got to that place we were staying in the, the the day two tests were there we did them the very next morning and I found the drop off site that was really easy and we had the results within twenty four hours emailed to us both of us negative now in the UK I again having lived here throughout COVID I found the complete lack of regulations very hard to deal with on a psychological level my teenage daughter didn't she was just brand no mask mask off go or like. But on a bus, it's, it, there are signs everywhere saying we would appreciate more or less if you kept your mask on, but it's up to you. Personal responsibility, which to, I'd say people, most people under the age of 50 meant no mask. I kept my mask on. I, I, I prepared to do that. The minute I went into a shop, I put on my mask. But again, there was no obligation to do it. Um, and I, I just found it unnerving. I'm trying to think of the right word, not worrying, unnerving, compounded by the fact that three days into the journey, I got a phone call from the NHS 
to say that someone on my flight from Tenerife had tested positive and therefore I was considered a close contact. Now, that was followed up by a lengthy questionnaire as to my status and my vaccination status. And when I told them that I had been vaccinated and my second vaccination had been received before the end of August, I was told that was okay. I didn't have to self-isolate, but I needed to to keep an eye out for any symptoms that I might develop. Now, this was news to me. I I didn't know that there was an option to not self-isolate if you were were pinged. So I hadn't realised that that was an option. My daughter wasn't contacted. She sat beside me on the same flight. And then the next day I was phoned to to be told that I was also listed as the guardian of of somebody, I'm not going to mention the name, somebody I'd never heard of. And I said, no. And they said, well, you're listed as this guardian. And this individual now is also deemed to be a close contact. And I said, well, it's wrong. I'm not this person's guardian. So there was, you know, that was not. It all sounds rather. Alarming. Is one Alarming, way chaotic, and uh, I understand there's millions of people traveling all over the to place. Be expected, I suppose, because you you only have to look at scenes of the House of Commons on news reports to see that there are hundreds of people now back in the House of Commons, and maybe about five are wearing a face mask. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I did it, find it that example. that I could decide to take all the restrictions that I wanted to for my own health and protect those around me, whether it's on a bus or in a shop or in a bank. But if I had the NHS app, which I didn't have, um, that was to do with my flight locator form that I was called on that occasion. If I did have the app, I could easily be pinged because somebody else had decided not to wear a mask, got COVID, and I was therefore going to have to self-isolate. And that is incredibly irritating. So that regardless of what 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 decisions I make about protecting my own health, I could still be isolated because of somebody else's selfishness, if I want to call it that. And I think I will. Well, we're talking about irritation and frustration and fear and uncertainty. And we, you and I, we are not going to be the only two people who think that COVID is still around. We still need to be taking precautions. I feel vulnerable if I'm around people who don't seem to understand the need for distancing, who won't wear a mask, who may be anti-vaccine completely. All of these things are conduce- are not conducive to a public that is feeling calm no, and no. in control and reassured and confident in its day-to-day life. I am not remotely surprised, therefore, to see scenes of people brawling in petrol forecourts. Yeah. The country well, seems to be on its living on its nerves on an absolute knife edge right now. But, what I found particularly strange, though, to, was the the incredible bureaucracy and the amount of intricate preparation I had to do to get into the UK. But once I was there, it was a free for all. Yes. Which seems pointless, doesn't it? I mean, if it's going to be such a free for all, what's the point in the... And, of course, it all changes on the 4th of October anyway, because the... Um, the pre-flight the test traffic is... light system is, you know, yeah. it's stop or go. Yeah. And if you are go, then you're pretty much go as you are now for green. Yeah. And if it's stop, you can't even go in. There. Yeah, so it's... it's... So there, is this, there is this sort of two extremes, isn't it? There is the... We're not letting anybody in, but once you're in... You can do whatever damage you like. Yeah. On, on the other hand, then, I mean, it, it, nothing's black and white, is it, Janet? No. So, you know, no. I, I was leaving my daughter over. She's now started 
um, college there. And she has to self-test every three days, which is a good thing. They don't wear masks like our, like they did. They do here still in secondary school, but they test every three days, and that test is registered. So and that's an educational, an educational yeah, requirement. That's in college. Okay. But uh, so, but then the next thing was so four days in, we flew to Dublin. Now we both have Irish passports, and it's a common travel area. So um, Brexit doesn't come into that whole travel zone. But we did have yeah. to fill in a, an Irish location form, which was very easy to fill in. It was an online form. Uh, no tests needed because we're both fully vaccinated. We needed to present that in Dublin, not in London. So on arrival into Dublin Airport at the passport desk, we needed to present the the Irish passport location form. Now then in Ireland, we were back to more restrictive practices in terms of masks on public transport, masks in shops. And interestingly enough, which again I hadn't realised, was that... Um, the first day I went with my cousin to meet my aunt and we were just went to a local hotel to have coffee and sandwiches, which was lovely. But as we were in the car, my cousin said to me, she said, oh, I, you both have your COVID certs with you. And I said, well, look, I had them on my phone. And I said, yeah, she said, no, you need them if, if you want to eat or have coffee indoors anywhere. So and photo ID. So that is now a requirement in Ireland. And there was, nobody was, was given out about it. So we, we went and it happened in a small cafe as well as we sat down to order coffee the, the woman came over and took her orders and she said, uh, can I just see your certs, please? So we had to show our COVID certs. We all had to show photo ID. And one of us had to sign in as kind of the group rep with the contact phone number. And that is just standard practice now in Ireland. And, uh, what and it was fine. About such, what is good about such practices is that everybody then knows where they are. They yeah. know what the rules are. They know that they have to. I, I know there will be plenty who would complain about having to do it. And of course, if you haven't had a vaccine, you're going to be screaming about 90% of the adult population are vaccinated in Ireland now. Yes. And that exactly. is for indoor dining. Absolutely. Now, not, you don't... everybody is safe then. Yeah. And there is no question that they're safe, even if in some people's minds it is ridiculous over engineering. So everybody is it safe and everybody safe knows safe, it. Yeah? You don't need to show it to go shopping, but to wear your mask. If the only alternative is a society such as you have described in Ireland, where people are calm, clear, polite, know what's going on and safe, or brawling in forecourts because everybody's on edge, nobody knows what's going on, Mm. the rules change day by day, and there's no petrol and there's no turkey and... No pigs in blankets. Guess where you'd rather be. Well, to be honest, where I would rather be is back here, back home, because this is where I feel safest. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, again, numbers that the figures might be showing it too. But when I got back and, okay, one of the reasons is I know the rules here. I'm not guessing because I know what the rules are. Um, But I felt fairly safe in Ireland too. But I, I didn't feel at ease in the UK. I am older. If I get COVID, even though I've been vaccinated, I could still get ill. And I don't want to get COVID. You know, I have no no desire to to be ill here or anywhere. But I felt safest in terms of just the general public consensus about protecting each other here in in Tenerife, in my home. But it was an experience to have traveled in in the three different countries. And I mean, also coming back into Spain, just to kind of finish the thread, 
So there's a Spanish health app that you have to download on your phone and fill in. Um, and I'd heard that there were lengthy, lengthy queues in Tenerife Airport. In fact, I got off the EasyJet flight, first time at the EasyJet, thumbs up, they were fabulous. Uh, mm-hmm. And walked down, there was a special desk with a couple of people staffing that desk who scanned my Spanish health location form, checked my digital search. And then because I had an EU passport, I just went to the EU passport desk and I was I was probably out in the main concourse within about 10 minutes of landing. Perfect. So basically, the, the bottom line really is that within the EU, things are standardised and Smooth. there might be variations within different countries, mm. but mm. they are variations that are recognisable within yeah. exchange yeah. between those countries because everybody yeah. knows what's going on. And the rules haven't changed over and the, the rules last couple changed. of months. No, there, there is a, co- a cohesion and consistency. Mm. And... Yeah, it, it's pretty good. It, it feels a very different, um, slightly anarchic situation from what you're describing in the UK. Okay, it, it I'm not from cool. England, so I don't know. No. I don't know the rhythms of life there. No. You know, and I, that has to be taken into account. And I don't want to come across as being anti-British because I'm not at all. And, no, you know, their vaccination not. program, they, they had the AstraZeneca before anybody else. They've done some marvellous, marvellous research work. Um, but at the moment... There just seems to be unease in in the public perception or or public understanding of what's really going on. It is worth sort of mentioning, I suppose, talking about it for for a minute, that it does feel like that. It does feel there is an unease in in social life in the UK right now where people feel uncertain and unclear about what's coming next. The thing that seems to me... I suppose the elephant in the room really is is what's going to happen this winter with regard to COVID because at the moment there are obviously problems regardless of whether one argues about what the actual cause is, immediate or indirect cause of the problems. There are clearly problems and that is, as we said earlier, that is a country in which COVID has taken the back seat because other issues are really pressing. If there is another wave of COVID this winter, that could make a catastrophic, a chaotic situation rather catastrophic. Mm. And I fear for the UK because I am from the UK. I am British and we have family there, our two daughters. Well, I have family there now too. (laughs) Yeah, you do now too yourself. Um, and, and so it, it's no good to say, as many have said to me, well, it doesn't matter to you, you're no longer in the country. Some have even said you shouldn't have a say because you're no longer in the country. But we have family there. Yeah. It is our nationality. And it distresses me more than I can express, actually, to see the state to which the country has now come. I hope it won't. I hope chaos doesn't reign. Um, I mean, I, like, the, the, let's not even, we're not really going to talk about visas for drivers and Turkey and petrol no, because no. it's so, such a complicated issue, such a complicated issue. And I don't think it can be solved by sticking plasters. And I just hope it doesn't impose even more chaotic or a sense of chaos on the country, because I think people have suffered so much everywhere that this is the last thing people in the UK need is another set of problems that is not for many of them of their own making. Absolutely. And of course, things are changing within Europe as well, because as of yesterday, 
that Angela Merkel is no longer at the helm in Germany. And that means that the main, certainly one of the main two, if not the main European power has had a major shift yeah. of emphasis in terms of its leadership. That change of emphasis is likely even to be greater than we anticipated because it looks like the socialists have won and obviously there's going to have to be a coalition in government, but that should involve the Greens. Yes, it looks like Germany is about to shift very much to a a pro-climate, pro-environmental, more left-wing stance. At the same time as France is looking up to elections next year, they could see that shift to the right. To the other side, yeah. Yeah. It's beginning to be a little bit um, more dynamic than the last 20 years have led us to believe. Everything was stable. We've had Angela Merkel and, okay, France, who've been more or less uh, reputable, but Merkel has always been there. And like a stable force. She's like our mother. <laughs> yes, Mama Merkel. She's like the mother of Europe. Devoti for Europa. Exactly. So things are going to change. And the new direction in Germany is not likely to affect the UK in a very positive way because Schultz, who's likely to be the next councillor, has already said, well, yeah, there are delivery problems in the UK. It's a function of, if not a result of, freedom of movement being removed. And we did say this would happen. We did say that this was an inevitable consequence of leaving the EU. And we did actually ask the UK not to leave the EU. So there's not a lot we can do about it, really. That's the German position. Not encouraging for the UK. So where it all goes from here, I don't know. But I am finding very hard, I have to admit. Okay. Janet, I think our technological luck is about to run out. (laughs) Because I think we're both dropping out. So, you know, thank you, everybody, for listening. Can I give my program a little plug? The English Time program is back on air on Radio Sura Deche on Thursday. Janet, you will join me, please, for the first program of the new season. And Barbara Belt from La Gomera, who was in La Palma, is also going to take part. So I hope people can join us. Um, I'll also post the program, but it's Radio Sura Deche, 107.9 FM. One o'clock this Thursday for Janet and I will be re- reunited. So until then, then everybody, bye bye. Bye bye and stay safe.